Hello to you people in the future who are listening to another episode of Voices in My Head. Thank you for joining me today. Over the last few months, I've been honored to bring you great guests like Jason Gray, Sarah Groves, Michael Card, Andrew Peterson, Trip York, and Brian Zahn, just to name a few. It's been my pleasure to bring these podcasts to you, the listener, free of charge. The fact is, though, that there are operating expenses when you do a show like this, so rather than make this a paid podcast, I wanted to give the listeners a chance to help out. The Voices in My Head audience has grown exponentially since I began broadcasting in January of 2012, and there are people who listen from all over the globe. Because of this, and because I want to keep the podcast free, I'm offering you a chance to sponsor an episode of Voices in My Head. Maybe you'd like to dedicate a show to a family member with a message for their birthday, or maybe you'd like to honor a loved one with some sort of special greeting. Perhaps you just want to showcase one of your websites or a business. So to sponsor an episode of Voices in My Head, simply send me an email with your ad to rljames29 at yahoo.com. If I approve your ad, then I'll let you know in a follow-up email. Then simply go to rickleejames.com. Click on the tab that says Tip Jar, Podcast Sponsorship, follow the link to PayPal, and then leave your donation or sponsorship amount. If it sounds like a lot, then just send me an email and I'll talk you through the steps. Thank you again for listening to Voices in My Head, and enjoy today's episode. I honor the Holy One inside you. Namaste. Live from Springfield, Ohio, it's Voices in My Head. The official podcast of Rick Lee James. I am Rick Lee James, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. If you hear this voice today, do not turn Welcome back, listeners. It is episode number 3-0. Oh, that is a milestone birthday for most people, and this is episode 30 of Voices in My Head. Not 30 years, but 30 weeks and 30 episodes, and today we're going to be celebrating with Scott Rowley, uh, one of the great pastors, thinkers, musicians, songwriters. Uh, he, he's just an awesome guy, and he's here with us today on the program. I recorded a, a wonderful interview with him. He has so many great things to say to the church, especially about working with uh, racial reconciliation and what that means in the body of Christ and what that means to live out the kingdom of God in the world. Uh, but before we get to any of that, we got several things in store for you today. One of them is I've been out on the road a lot this summer. I'm finally starting to get a little rest. I want to go out some more this year. We have a child on the way, so I need to book as many concerts as possible because I need to bring home the proverbial bacon, even though we're vegetarian, so I will be bringing home the veggie sausage patty. Um, which is not really sausage, I guess. I don't know what you call it when it's vegetable. But anyway, I need to bring it home. So uh, if you're booking right now, give me a call or give me an email at rljames29 at yahoo.com. Uh, I'm going to play for you a instrumental arrangement of a tune that I love, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, one of my favorite hymns. I'm thinking about working on an instrumental album once the psalm project gets finished. Uh, we'll see whatever uh, whatever time will hold for us, and who knows what kind of busy schedule I'm going to have in the new year because I've never had a child before. So this will be my first baby, and I want to spend a lot of time being a great father, and I want to provide for that child as well. I'm going to quit talking now and just play this uh, little instrumental ditty for you, Come Thou Fount, a little arrangement I came up with. Thank you. 
Wow, I really feel like I messed that up. I apologize, but it's the 30th episode, and I wanted to do something a little bit maybe celebratory, and I felt like playing some guitar today. So as the song says, Lord, let that be our prayer today. Come, thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy praise. Uh, You know, the human heart is like that. We're like the instruments that need to be put back in tune, and the human heart definitely uh, needs to be put back in tune. We have given ample evidence this week uh, that we are not God, and as a matter of fact, we do not react like God. Um, and And we've seen it in, you know, not only has there been... There's, you know, horrendous news stories, not just news stories, actual happenings in people's lives, but, you know, things like last week when the Dark Knight came out, um, the Dark Knight Rises, there was the, the awful, just the movie theater shooting, James Holmes. Then I, I was heard on the news that there's been at least like three copycats of that, like copycat killers, basically, that are... Uh, I just, I can't imagine. I can't imagine why people are copycatting that. And then we have this, you know, the Chick-fil-A junk that's going on right now. And ah, be better, Christians. That's all I can say. Uh, homosexuals, you be better too, all right? And not to say that that some of you that are homosexuals are not Christians. Um, that would be very judgmental of me uh, to say that. And I'm I'm definitely not the judge. I just got to say, though, Come on, people. Let's grow up. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know how else to say it other than other than grow up. Be mature people. Do do the right thing on this. Uh, I'm a vegetarian, and yet, you know, I have I have a hard time passing up Chick Fil A. Sometimes I got to say they do have great waffle fries, uh, as my cousin pointed out to me. But um, I, I I don't know what to say about this whole situation. The fact that we uh, you know, we want to penalize a company because of the political views of a person who owns a company. Uh, it, it just doesn't make sense to me on either side. And I, I feel like there's this immature dialogue that's going on uh, that nobody's being rational on either side of the issue, Christian, non-Christian, whatever. Uh, for once, the ACLU is on the side of Chick-fil-A and uh, because... <laughs> Because of of Boston and the mayor, you know, telling him it's not welcome. And it's like everything just seems so weird right now in this world. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come have your way. We're just not getting it right as people. Um, You know, we've gone from national tragedy to to fighting about chicken. And uh, I I don't know. I I feel like sometimes um, I just want to say, God, really? You love us? But he does. He loves us all, and and I know that. And, you know, God loves us so richly. Red, yellow, black, white, gay, straight. Um, God's heart is for his people for some reason, although we don't understand it. Um, And if you are a Christian and you're listening today, I said it on my Facebook page last couple days here. Come on, let's be Christians. It says in our holy book, they will know we are Christians by our love. And, you know, whether we're persecuted, whether we're the ones doing the persecuting, whatever, somebody wake up, everybody wake up to the call of God in our lives. We will be called Christians because of our loves, uh, not our picket signs. And that's just end of story right now. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go off on this. I just, I get annoyed by our news sometimes and the kind of things that cycle through. Let's go on to something more fun. What do you say? Something better, uh, something that I think we all enjoy, and that would be the fantastic question of the week. Question of the week. 
Now, question of the week is answered every week on this show, including by our guests. I always try to get our guests to answer it. You can go to the Voices in My Head, the Rick James podcast, Rick Lee James podcast. Sorry, I put my middle name in there. Voices in My Head, Rick Lee James podcast Facebook page, and you can answer this question by typing it out. Um, and very few people have used the phone line, but you actually can just call in your answer. Let's face it, it's the age of cell phones. It's not a long-distance call. So if you have a story or something that you want to share on Question of the Week, Best way to do it, just call 937-505-0162. Some people have told me they don't call in because they don't like the sound of their voice. i got to tell you, I don't really care for the sound of my voice, but it doesn't stop me from uh, inflicting it on you every week with the podcast. So question of the week this week was uh, one of the more popular ones that we've had, and we've, we've had more involved answers than we usually get uh, because I wanted to ask about a fish story because my guest today, uh, Scott Rowley, actually has written a book on fishing, and you're going to hear more about that in the interview with him but i just thought you know fish stories are are fun things to tell so i asked do you have a good fish story and it doesn't have to necessarily be true because after all it is a fish tale but most of them i think we got were true stories and they're good quality stuff so i have been looking forward to sharing these stories with you this week uh darlene perrin friend of the show so glad that you wrote in darlene uh she says that last time i went fishing was when i was about 10 question mark uh, 10 years old she wasn't exactly sure somewhere in that 10 year old frame she says, my dad, brother, and I were fishing off the deck of a hotel in Florida, I think in Clearwater. My dad decided I needed to learn how to take the fish off the hook. That was it. I was done. Haven't fished since and wouldn't touch a live squirmy fish if you paid me. So uh, it's funny, Darlene, because uh, my sister answered as the second person uh, of the question of the week this week. And I think that you and she would share some commonality on the uh, the touching a squirmy uh, wet uh, fish, squirmy live fish thing. Uh, Tony James says, I always just feel so bad for the fish. I don't like the taste of fish all that much, so fishing wasn't something that I wanted to do for food. When we went out fishing once with Grandpa when I was a kid, and I caught one, but the hook went through its eye. That was just too sad for me. The fish was too small to keep, so we had to throw it back, and I thought, it has suffered so much, and we're just sending it back to be caught by someone else later and go through it again. If I had to fish for food, I would. Other than that, I prefer to let them live in peace. So um, I don't think uh, that my sister would be up for touching the squirmy live fish either, Darlene. It doesn't sound like on that. And I kind of remember that. That was gross, actually. Way to go, Tony, inflicting pain on a poor little defenseless fish by jabbing a hook through its eyeball. Um, nice work. Not that you had anything to do with that. Just just kidding. But it was your hook. Just saying. Anyway, moving on. Matthew Cole, friend of the show. And once again, in 30 episodes, I don't think he's missed a question of the week. Uh, he actually has with exclamation points saying, Woo! I love fishing. I have a new favorite fishing story from just a couple of weeks ago. Mabry, uh, Mabry's Matt's daughter, says, Mabry and I went wading in the South Fork of the Elkhorn. This was her first real fishing trip. We had only waited 30 to 40 yards, and I was casting for her and letting her reel in a size 3 Rapella rainbow trout, colored and a smallmouth based. Uh, he said based, but I think he meant bass. And a smallmouth bass slammed the bait so hard she didn't even have to set the hook. I have caught in the thousands of fish, 
and not one was as awesome as that small mouth that Mabry reeled in, and that Daddy got to take it off the hook. I'm seeing a trend here. I'm seeing that girls do not like taking fish off of the hook. Um, I think I actually have a funny story I'm going to share about that when I get done with the rest of these. But great story, Matt, and it sounds like Mabry had a great first fishing trip with her dad. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to the first, you know, I don't fish, but I'm looking forward to, like, the first comet convention uh, that I get to take my little son or daughter to. Uh, by the way, just a little update on uh, our child in the womb this week. It's week 15, and uh, apparently according to what to expect when you're expecting, it's about the size of an orange. Um, I don't know what kind of orange, fairly large orange, I guess, but... Moving on, uh, this is from Daniel Dye. Actually, it's from Dan Yazdai's uh, Facebook page, which I think that's Daniel and his wife, Yasmin. So, um, but Daniel, I believe, was the one writing this, and he says, One time we caught a bat while fishing late in the evening. I, I, it must have thought the fishing lure was a bug, so the bat grabbed it in the air before it hit the water. We reeled it in, and then one of the fellows beat it to death with a paddle so he could salvage his lure and... Wow. Uh, you know, that that reminds me, in a couple of weeks, we're going to actually have a Batman episode, and, and Ben DeBono from the Sci-Fi Christian podcast is going to be joining me, and we're going to be talking about the Dark Knight. So this is where maybe fishing and Batman intersect, uh, which, I don't know, maybe that's one of the reasons I like Aquaman so much, because it's like, you know, where fishing and comic books meet up. Who knows? One more great fishing story, and then I'm going to share mine. Uh, Steve Green says this, and this is truly a fish story, and it's probably my favorite. It's the shortest, but I think it's the best for last. Steve Green says, and, and Steve, thanks for being a friend of the show. really do appreciate that. says, I once caught a fish so big, the picture weighed eight pounds. And <laughs> that's a great story. I love it. The, the, he once caught a fish so big, the picture weighed eight pounds. So uh, let me go ahead and tell you my fish story. Thank you again for everybody who answered these questions. And I'm hoping that next week we'll have even more fun dialogue go on. But it seems like fishing actually hit a note with you guys. I can remember fishing at my grandfather's pond when I was young, and it seems like I just really loved fishing at that age. I haven't been back in many, many years. I'm not even sure I could get a fish off the hook now, to be honest, because it's been so long. Um, and again, now that I'm a vegetarian, there's not much need to go fishing because, uh, you know, other than just for the fun of it, I guess. Uh, but I remember going with my grandma and my sister and... Uh, we were very young. I don't remember exactly how young it was, but um, caught a fish. It wasn't a huge fish or anything, uh, but at that age, I was pretty young, and I could not get this fish off the hook. I mean, I was I was grabbing it, and and the things you know squirming out of my hands, and it was just one of those like awful debacles that had to keep putting the fish back in the water on the hook, and it's trying to swim away, and then we had to pull it back out because otherwise it was going to die. And then I remember my grandma being there, and and grandma, God love her, she's not much of a fisherman either, and and she couldn't get it off the hook. And I remember she didn't want to touch it, and neither did my sisters, so they were like grabbing it with Kleenexes, and uh, and holding onto the fish with Kleenexes in their hands. So we're drying this this fish's you know flesh out. 
out, you know, it's like, let's do all we can to make sure that it drains of all the water so that it can die miserably and it's suffocating outside the water. So we keep dipping the fish back in and, and they're grabbing the Kleenex and pulling it out. Finally, uh, they, we got the hook out and, and the fish, you know, jumped back in the water and was like, you dirty, no good. He, I heard him screaming insults at us as he swam back to the middle of the pond to get away from us. Um, but that was just kind of a, a funny memory for me. It wasn't really probably that funny at all for the fish, but, you know, I enjoy it. Good memory with Grandma and the gang. So you, too, can answer question of the week on the Voices in My Head Facebook page. Make sure you go to Voices in My Head, the Rick Lee James podcast Facebook page, because there are some other Voices in My Head pages that are not podcasts, and you may even see some inappropriate things on there, so don't do that. But the question of the week for next week, and please, if you're the first one to call in at 937-505-0162 and answer this question, if you answer it for this next podcast, if you're the first one to call in and do that, I will send you a one of the new 52 Justice League comic books. That's right, Justice League comic book. So um, just you'll have to leave your address with me, of course. Um, but send in uh, your message at 937-505-0162. And the question is this. You ready? It's going to be a good one. It's in a who would win in this battle between Gandalf and Yoda. All right, and it's up to you to decide uh, whether or not you want to be Gandalf the White or Gandalf the Gray. There is a difference there, I think. So if you want to go into the intricacies of both of them and their battle styles, that's fine. But Gandalf from Lord of the Rings and Yoda from the Star Wars mythos. So uh, feel free uh, to answer that on the next question of the week. And I promise the first person to call that answer in, if you do it for the next episode... I will send you a Justice League comic book. You can't beat that. The Justice League line has been great, written by Jeff Johns, and uh, some of the artwork has been by Jim Lee as of late. Hard to beat. Really good stuff. So thanks for listening and for answering Question of the Week. Question of the Week. I am so excited about some of the future episodes of Voices in My Head. You know, I'm excited about today's as well because uh, 30 episodes and then we get to have somebody the caliber of Scott Rowley on the podcast is a really amazing thing for me just to have that happen. Uh, but in the future, next week, we're having Adam Powers, a uh, great preacher, and I got to spend some time with him last week, and uh, I did music for some services, and he was the, the preacher that week. Uh, really great man of God, and I'm looking forward to you know, the, the, convoca- convoca- the conversation that we're having. Sorry that I can't talk. I guess that's why I'm a musician for my living and not a speaker. Um, but really excited to have Adam Powers on there. Now think about this, big 24 fan, and uh, he is also new to fatherhood. They have, I believe, a, a 10-month-old um, baby, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that's, that's not right. That's too old, I think. Sorry, Adam. Uh, but anyway, they have a little boy and they're big fans of the show 24. Their last name is Powers. So guess what they named their child? You guessed it, Jack. Their little boy is Jack Powers because that sounds like Jack Bowers. So I need uh, I need help. I think that if uh, listeners, if you could help me uh, come up with a cool name for a son or daughter, we're going to know in September what it's going to be. Um, but I want the name to mean something. My wife and I are going through it. You know, you can send a name into the Voices in My Head page. You can you can call the number nine three seven five zero five zero one six two. Leave 
uh, some messages for a name. Don't say stuff like Jesse James or, um, you know, don't, I don't want to name Rick James again because I've got, you know, grief my whole life about being the same name as the, the singer Rick James. And then when Dave Chappelle did, you know, his skit, I'm Rick James, bleep. Uh, anyway, you had all that stuff going on. So I don't want it to be that way. Um, if you can think of a really cool name that would go with uh, with James, you know, I, and and not like Bond, James Bond, you know, or something like that, that's not good. But help me out, folks. Uh, but also, in uh, I believe it's two weeks from now, Ben DeBono from the Sci-Fi Christian Podcast, which is where I became acquainted with him. He's not on the podcast quite as much anymore because his new pastoral responsibilities have taken him away. I think they try to get him on about once a month. Um, but I, from the very first episode of Voices in My Head, have been recommending uh, the Sci-Fi Christian podcast. I mean, it really is amazing, and especially if when you listen to that first year of podcast with Ben and his co-host Matt Anderson, they had some of the best dialogue. It's a funny show. Um, they are both intellectual, and while well, at the same time they they bring their theology uh, down to the level that many of us can understand and. Uh, just nothing but good things to say about that. I'm so excited that Ben's going to join me, and we're going to have a discussion uh, in two weeks, like I said, if all goes well, uh, about The Dark Knight Rises, and we're going to be discussing some things uh, probably along the lines of N.T. Wright's uh, Evil and the Justice of God and, and what that must mean um, in the Christian community of art, of, of being faithful and what it means to tell in the story, and maybe how people like Christopher Nolan, who I'm not even sure what their faith is, they're actually doing uh, some of the Christians' job for them in their, what I believe to be prophetic imagination. And so uh, I'm really looking forward to having that conversation. Uh, also, this is another that's coming up very soon, I think probably three weeks from now. Like a Child, we're going to have uh, a live experience with them, going to be going to one of their concerts, and we're going to be getting to talk to them kind of in the backstage format after one of their amazing shows. And uh, like a child, if you've not heard them, they're just breaking out right now. You're going to be hearing lots and lots more about them. They're a great group, and I'm so excited with Out of Truth Records to be uh, bringing you a podcast with them in the very near future. So thank you for listening to Voices in My Head. We're at 30 episodes, and I'm hoping we'll go 30 more, and then 30 more after that, and 30 more after that. And Anyway, I'm going to quit with my conversation now, which I just talk into the microphone, and actually go to a conversation where I actually talk with another person. Scott Rowley, really great man of God, and uh, he would be the first to tell you that if there's anything good about him, it's Jesus in him, and, and that's true of all of us. And uh, I appreciated his humility. I appreciate the work that he's doing right now and uh, leaving not only really a career, a thriving career in Christian music years ago to follow the call of God into the pastorate, um, leaving that pastorate recently um, after I think it was close to 25 years at Christ Community Church in Franklin, Tennessee, uh, so he could more fully live out the call of racial reconciliation here in the States and in letting the kingdom of God come in the church. And you can often see him on tour like I did just a few weeks ago with Michael Card, his best friend. And uh, it's it's really a wonderful thing to have Scott on the show today. I want to encourage all of you at the top of this interview Go to scottrolley.com and check out some of the great things that he is writing about uh, on his blog, some of the things that he has coming out in the way of books. He's a prolific author. He's a musician. He's a pastor. He's a person with a heart for God, and I can't thank him enough for being on the show today. So without any further hesitation, let's go to that interview 
with Scott Rowley here on Voices in My Head, episode number 30. God bless. My guest today is musician, pastor, author, husband, and father, Scott Rowley. Scott is a founding member of Christ Community Church in Franklin, Tennessee, where he served in various roles over a span of 25 years. In the fall of 2011, he resigned his position to pursue his call to racial reconciliation full-time. He can also be seen frequently on tour with his good friend and fellow musician, Michael Card. Scott Rowley, it is my pleasure to welcome you this week on Voices in My Head. Thank you, Rick. It's really my privilege, and we're just so uh, excited to be a part of this. Well, every week we ask uh, our guest on the show something called Question of the Week, and our listeners always answer this question over on the Voices in My Head Facebook page. And I know that you're a fisherman, so I figured this might be an appropriate question for you. So the question of the week this week is, do you have a good fishing story that you can share? And it doesn't have to be true because it is a fish tale after all. Yeah, that was good. I actually pondered that while I was on a fishing trip this past weekend. I was up in East Tennessee uh, on the Watauga River and the uh, South Holston, which are two terrific trout streams. I'm a fly fisherman, so we enjoy uh, fooling trout and catching them and then releasing them. Uh, I do, do go fishing with Michael Card, and I did think about you know, just uh, a lot of moments with him where we've been fishing and enjoying time together. Uh, we were in the stream um, one time on the Elk River r- right here in Middle Tennessee. And I can remember us just laughing when we realized that we were growing so old and that, uh, you know, making our way across the stream can be kind of slow and uh, torturous. And, uh, of course, um, I was suffering from arthritis at the time. But anyway, just, uh, just a lot of fun to think about. Uh, being out there with Michael. <laughs> well, great. That sounds good. Well, and how many people get to say they go fishing with Michael Card? So yeah, it, it's really funny. Michael and I really consider each other our best friends, as best friends. And um, what's sort of strange about that is it's it's kind of easy, you know. If 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 he says I'm his best friend, that's an easy thing. But when I say he's my best friend, people kind of always say, you know, does he know that? You know, yeah. Does, <laughs> Is he aware of that? So, yeah, it's a great relationship. We've known each other over 30 years, and uh, we really do love each other. And I've actually heard him say that, folks. I've heard yeah. Michael Card say that Scott really is his best yeah. friend. So that's, <laughs> we're, not just, we're not just saying it for a while. Uh, that's a great compliment to me. It's a great, great oh, encouragement. Well, I did want to mention to listeners that um, if you're interested in some of Scott's fishing stories, you might be interested to know that he authored a book called The Will of the Nation, A Fishing Journal. And this is full of stories and descriptions of Scott's fly fishing adventures. So I just wanted to put a plug in for that book for you real fast. Yeah, so we went to our website, scottrolley.com, and we'll talk about that more. But yeah, they can uh, find it and order it there. Great. That sounds good. Well, Scott, I have known you a lot longer than you have known me. You've known me just, you know, basically a few minutes here and the other night when I met you at one of the concerts. But um, I used to listen to you online or I actually used to live in Nashville, Tennessee. I attended Trevecca University and um, I used to be able to, to pick up Christ Community Church sometimes on Sunday evenings on the radio and uh, always enjoyed uh, the services there, and, and it was uh, 
that that's just a great church. I even visited a couple times whenever I lived in the area. And I wonder if you could tell us just a little bit about your time, because you served there for over 25 years on staff. Yeah. yeah, I was actually on staff for 22 years, but was a founder that went back 25 years. Scotty Smith, the founding pastor, and then Michael Card, myself, and then two other uh, families founded the church in 1986, and I was still on the road with Michael at that time. We we did a about an eight-year tour um, or a time of touring back in the 80s. Uh, so my music career started in the early 70s and then in the early 90s. It was a 20-year stretch. In 94, I was I was um, ordained in the Presbyterian Church in America, and I had been on staff as a youth pastor for several years at that time. And then I uh, moved over to small groups, all the while uh, really working in the community here in uh, Franklin and Williamson County among the poor, our poorest citizens, and uh, relocated in 97 uh, into our lowest, uh, lowest income neighborhood called Hard Bargain. Mm. So a lot of my focus in ministry has been back in, in, in this, this area, in the neighborhood. Mm. But uh, stayed with the church, was um, brought in as the senior, or, or brought to the to, was elected the senior pastor in 19 or excuse me in 2005 and then resigned just this last year about a year ago and uh retired really from church life church pastoring um you know week in and week out uh doing ministry uh, in worship preaching those kinds of things uh to really go back to a full-time uh work with Michael Card and then with the Franklin Table which is what we call the ministry to the poor. So that's a long-winded answer, but uh, it spanned almost 20, 22 years on staff and um, 25 years, really, uh, in terms of founding. Well, while I'm not a part of the PCA Church myself, I have a great fondness for many of the people in it. As a matter of fact, I just spent about the last three weeks on the road with um, Mission to the World out in Fairmont, West Virginia. Fantastic. And there's some, some great, wonderful things that the PCA Church is doing with missions, not only there, but just all over. And so I really appreciate their witness in the world. I really do. Yeah, MTW really, really spawned a sanctification pro uh, program called Sonship which takes biblical understanding of what it means for us to be sons and daughters of God versus, you know, justification, sanctification. We love these great big words theologically, but the idea of adoption in Christ, which is central to biblical life uh, and life in biblical worldview, is is terrific. And they, the world, you know, MTW does, excuse me, um, um, Mission to the World and World Harvest Mission both um, really support a terrific outreach through that. Mm. Well, as you mentioned a few minutes ago that you worked with a, a community called Hard Bargain, and I really wanted to speak with you today about your work with racial reconciliation. And, and one reason that I am intrigued, and I think maybe a lot of our listeners would be intrigued with this, that I find as I travel around and, and playing as a musician or a speaker, wherever I go in different churches, I often find that the church is one of the most racially and maybe even socioeconomically segregated places um, that I find. And I, I was wondering if you have any thoughts maybe as to why that is. Well, I mean, you know, it is the most segregated institution probably in American life, North American life. Uh, there are some instances where integration or assimilation and, and uh, you know, where the faith has been united across race and across economic kind of boundaries and barriers, but for the most part, um, 
primarily you know, the ethnic groups, whether it's Caucasian or African American, Asian, Native American, um, Hispanic, uh, Latino. Um, they group the groups basically stay within their own within their own cultural um, kind of parameters, um, which I think you know we battle because we feel like we're so much less what we could be if if I, if we pray on earth as it is in heaven and in heaven. You know, there's the broadest range of every tribe, tongue, and people group from every, you know, it's pan-generational, it's pan um, across era. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a, an amazing, you know, broad, huge redemption that we're headed to in heaven. And if we pray on earth as it is in heaven, we don't actually make attempts to cross those divides. And I would say primarily ours are denominational, racial, and economic then, then we really, I think, failed to, to meet together, to, hmm. to assemble together. I don't think we're actually experiencing the richness of fellowship that uh, Christ really intended as he unites us, unites all of us together. Uh, so to, the idea today that we're working on racial reconciliation, I think, is central to how the Gospels lived out. Hmm. Well, that's, that's an excellent uh, thought because I, I've often wondered, you know, when we pray that prayer, like you said, uh, your kingdom come, you know, on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, I've often wondered how we how we sort of get out of our rut sometime too, which is why I'm very interested in a couple of books that you have written. And um, now you've written several books, but uh, these two in particular, I wondered maybe you could share with us some about. One is called God's Neighborhood: A Hopeful Journey in Racial Reconciliation and Community Renewal, and then you have a follow up, which maybe we can talk a little after that, called Hard Bargain: A Beautiful Place to Live. But um, maybe you could just share with our listeners today a, a little bit about the, what led you to write God's Neighborhood, first of all. Yeah, that started out as um, really a biographical kind of a sketch of where I came from. I grew up in Washington, D.C. My father was a well-connected lawyer there. Um, I got to hear the I Have a Dream speech in 63. Wow. Um, he worked for, uh, through his Commerce Department connections, he had corresponded and worked with Robert Kennedy, the the Attorney General at the time, got to have lunch at the, with the President at the White House, got to eat dinner at Bobby and Ethel's place in, in, in McLean, Virginia, mm. at Hickory Hill. So I really lived a very charmed and enjoyed a charmed life uh, there in Northern Virginia in Old Town, Alexandria. Um, through the course of my life, uh, two resonating kind of themes came out of that, and that was Kennedy's kind of um, don't ask the country what it'll do for you, ask what you can do for your country, sort of care for the poor. And then certainly through Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream, the context of how do we work together racially. So racial reconciliation and care for the poor were sort of two rails that my train was running down. Hmm. Uh, spent some time in Detroit uh, during the late 60s, um, during some really tumultuous times there, and then moved to Nashville in 78 and as a songwriter really felt that calling to speak to, sing to, sing about, and all that. So the book chronicles my life really from Virginia through Michigan to Nashville. And then the life that we've done here, which has been to pursue among the poorest of our, of our citizens here in, in Williamson County, Middle Tennessee, how do you really cross those barriers? We felt like you had to move into the neighborhood to actually to kind of gain credibility and so we moved in 1997 into Hard Bargain, the, uh, the poorest neighborhood in Williamson County. And uh, we joined our neighbors here to work on education, housing, food, all sorts of initiatives that 
we're there to encourage them and to bless them as we partner together uh, working to improve the community. So that book, God's Neighborhood, was published by University Press, and I was very encouraged by that back in, I think, um, something like 2004. Hmm. And then I followed it up with Hard Bargain, A Beautiful Place to Live, which were the stories of what actually was happening here in town, in the city, in, in, our, in our neighborhood, uh, with the characters that live next door and across the street, um, which are just full of life and full of color and full of excitement. Uh, every day down here, you know, is 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 very very exciting, very encouraging, very different because all of our neighbors are people who've come from very back uh, varied backgrounds, not the kind of thing we had out in our our wonderful um, subdivision which was called Meadow Green. We moved from Meadow Green to Hard Bargain, um, and uh, raised five kids here, and I've really enjoyed. Uh, a very different kind of lifestyle. It's hmm. not for everybody, but it certainly was something the Lord called Linda, my wife, and I, and our kids to. Wow, that's amazing. So what were, were some of the things that, that maybe you had to adjust to in, in changing from, like you said, a, a kind of a nicer neighborhood into a, a development like Hard Bargain? Yeah, I think uh, part of the reasons behind it were of our five kids, three are adopted, you know, the two that are adopted, uh, excuse me, the three that are adopted, two are African-American. So being in a primarily black neighborhood was also important for mm. us. And um, I think I think the adjustment was that African-American culture is very different than, let's call it Western European or Caucasian or white centrist um, culture. Uh, time is a very different element. Um, for the white uh, people that are that are our friends and, and family and neighbors, uh, time is of the essence. You have to be on time. You have to do things by time. Time kind of conquers, you know, the European. Time, time sits as sort of like the one with the whip over the European. African culture is the reverse. Um, the African holds the whip on time. And what we found here is that that most of our culture, Hispanic, Latino, African American, um, they they rule the clock. So one of the first adjustments we had to make was if you have a meeting at noon, it really is going to start about 12:30 or 12:45, and, and I mean, and, then, and that's just fine. It, it wasn't as though that was some kind of a big issue. It just was the way the cultures def, definitely are different, um, and also just the you know the the fact that um, uh, there this is a this is a this is a, a culture that's run by women and uh, primarily grandmothers, mothers. A lot of the husbands and fathers and grandfathers are gone, um, so uh, it's not a you know it's not as paternal as it is maternal. And um, you know we work every day to see that children um, are raised to stay in in you know two two parent families and to work toward you know if you're 21 don't get married till you're after 21 don't have babies till you're after married after until after you're married yeah. go to college if you can't go through right. as much high school as you get there's just all sorts of you know good practical stuff and advice that goes on in a community like this that's taken for granted in most suburban culture that's very interesting i'm i'm reading uh, bill cosby's book right now that came out a few years ago um come on people which he addresses some of those fatherhood issues as well yeah. in that book and just the real need um, because there's so many fathers that, that just are not there and oftentimes yeah. in communities like that. And so that's a, a wonderful work. So 
Now, I, I'm interested in, if if I'm not mistaken, you actually kind of pioneered Hard Bargain, the, the neighborhood that you moved into. Is that correct? Well, we're um, obviously it's a, a neighborhood that's been there since just right after the war. So 1867, hmm. it's sort of organized. Uh, Henry Macklemore, a freed slave, bought this little 15-acre uh, plot of land in the down in the downtown Franklin area, and began to subdivide it into houses, and they began to build it. We, you know, when we came here in '86, 1986, um, really almost 120 years after the development of the of the neighborhood, we were. It was in ruins. It was in shambles. Houses falling down all over the place. It was a very difficult um, section of town. Uh, and uh, when we moved in, in ten years later, in '97. Uh, we began to work on housing and on food and on education, on medical care, and yeah, there's a there's a school called New Hope Academy now, and a, a medical center called the, the the Mercy Clinic, the Mercy Children's Clinic. It's a pediatric clinic. Um, housing is the, the Hard Bargain Association. We're building, I think, our eighth house, and we have probably room for another ten, maybe twenty houses that we'll be building over the next few years. Uh, food programs. We fed uh, 1,200 families over the last two weeks. Um, so it, there's there's a lot of initiatives, you know, community development initiatives. But it's all working with the people in the neighborhood. It certainly isn't a one-man show. Sure. Um, we are. We took our original um, vision from John Perkins and uh, the Mendenhall Ministries that he organized. He and Dolphus Weary uh, in Mendenhall, Mississippi, and it became. And it has become the uh, Christian Community Development Association that meets every year with a big, big meeting. They'll be up in Minneapolis this September um, where community development initiatives like this from all over the country, really all over the world, come together for a week of sharing and doing, you know, uh, workshops and talking through, uh, hearing and listening to plenary speakers and talking through issues. Um, like the you know the Aurora Colorado killings, that'll be something they'll talk through. Um, you know, President Obama's reelection and, and how does that affect the communities? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know issues of, of, of education, jobs, um, the obviously the economy, uh, the environment. I mean this this is a this is a movement that's been going on really since the early late 60s, mm-hmm. mid 60s, sorry, mid mid late 60s. Um, but um, really since the civil rights movement um, in the mid-60s, this has been something Christian community development's really been gathering, and it's got some legs and is, is running very strongly. Well, I, I have a, a question for you, and, I, and just to ask your opinion on this. I have a lot of friends and, and colleagues who are ministers, um, not only in white churches, but also in predominantly black churches. And I think we all are kind of agreeing together that there is a challenge in bringing us together. What what would you see as maybe some of the challenges for the body of Christ as we seek to kind of live out this kingdom community lifestyle together that goes beyond just one color or class? Yeah, I think you're, you're, you're on it in, in this sense that um, without relationships, without having a relationship, we really can't move forward at all. We don't know one another. And the problem with the government trying to do the work is the government has programs and resources, but they don't have relationships to, to actually plug, you know, to, to plug people, you know, they can plug people into things, but they don't know the people to plug in. So mm. 
the reason why the church is so important is because we have the relationships with the poorest of the poor or the neediest of the needy. We're the ones who are down on the ground, hopefully. Um, The church is on the ground with hands in mud doing work that could connect with the resources from the government, which I think could be used very, you know, quite appropriately, let alone the, the resources from so many Christian people who, if they took the time to really invest, would find great joy in helping their neighbor and loving their neighbor. Um, I think the hurdles are that, whether it's the black church, Hispanic church, white church, doesn't matter. Um, we just don't like to venture out in relational, um, you know, our relational equity is so, is so guarded that we don't like to venture out. Mm. I tell people all the time, you know, they come to me and say, hey, I want to have a black friend or I want to have a, an Hispanic friend. I say, well, it's easy. You know how to love people. Mm. You know how you can walk up to the first black guy you run into. Hi, my name's Scott. I'd like to be your friend. Hey, do you want to go get a cup of coffee? You want to go get some food? Uh, what do you think about the Nashville, you know, what do you think about the Nashville scene? I mean, there's all sorts of ways you know how to befriend and care for people, talk about their family. The problem is it costs you your life. It costs you your life. You give your life to people. That's what you do. You don't give them your gift. You don't give them your resources. You give them your life. It's who you are. That is a hurdle most Christians aren't really willing to take right now, I don't think. I think people want this reconciliation, but they're not willing to really count the cost of it. And consequently, uh, friendships burn up quite quickly. People only meet for once a month every now and then. Um, and churches that are willing to meet on Sunday morning together, white churches, black churches, Hispanic churches, if they're willing to meet on the Sunday morning, and, and we have a group called Sanago and Empty Hands Fellowship here in, in Franklin, which were started again back in the day, back in the 1990s, and we've been meeting. In fact, we had our meeting this morning, and I mentioned, hey, we've been meeting since 1994, every Wednesday. And the reason we meet every week is because if you do a once-a-month meeting, you miss one month, there's eight weeks of time that go by that you don't see somebody, you don't talk to them, and, and you really can't, you can't be in relationship with that kind of gap. You know, we just we just had this habit of thinking, I, if I just sort of wave at the problem, all will be well, versus saying, no, I've got to dive in, I've got to give myself to this issue. So... I believe that incarnate ministry is what Jesus did. He relocated from heaven to earth. He came and dwelt with us. He became our friend, a friend to sinners. He loves us. He's relational in his life with us, separating us from every other worldview or religion. Jesus alone is the one who cares and gives to us. And that that's the pattern and the, and the way that I think we're supposed to be uh, with each other. But again, brother... It is almost insurmountable because of the divisions and the hatred and the prejudice that really are part of a North American church, not just the North American society, but North American church society has just as many flaws and biases in it as just regular life. Mm, very true. Yeah. And I, and speaking of that, I, I remember reading on your site just a little bit yesterday, actually, about... You know, in this in our culture that seems to be so overly unprejudiced in some ways anymore, at least because it's PC, um, you had written something, I believe, about the prison system and how it's sort of um, be- become maybe sort of a new um, a new racial class system or something. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm reading the work of uh, Michelle, um, uh, and her name just popped out of my head. Of course, that's always the way this goes, um, but. Um, 
Alexander, Rachel Alexander, and she has a book called The New Jim Crow, and it talks about mass incarcerations. The subtitle is Mass Incarcer Incarcerations in the Age of Colorblindness. And what we what we like to do in the in the certainly in the Caucasian um, community is we like to think of ourselves as colorblind. Now the whole dominant culture, whether it's economic dominance, whatever, likes to think of ourselves as colorblind. That means that we don't have race on our mind. Therefore, everybody's the same. The problem with that is that God made everybody different for a purpose. So instead of being colorblind, what we ought to be is color sensitive. We ought to know and recognize every kind of different person. I mean, if you love Asian people, the differences between Japanese, Korean, Chinese, you know, go on down the line, Indonesian, Vietnamese. I mean, you know, it's just beautiful to see the differences in, in our cultures and yet in our, in our ethnicity. Yet many people like to keep the uh, playing field level uh, by saying, I'm colorblind. Now, hmm. we don't use that phrase. We, we'd like to say, we're, we're celebrating our diversity, and, and that's what Empty Hands Fellowship and Sanago and these groups really work every day to do, is to celebrate our differences. Until we get to that, I don't think we can really unify like I'm, I'm believing the scriptures want us to. Mm, amen. I believe that. You know, and yeah. I, 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 well, yeah, and following that up then, I think if you look at the, the, the U.S. prison system, this idea of mass incarceration, there are... Uh, three times or more many uh, numbers of uh, incarcerated people in the United States. We have way more prisoners than any of the next three you know, countries, China, Russia, Korea, some of the most despicable uh, prisons in the world. If you added all of them up, you don't get anywhere near the prison, the number of prison, the number of prisoners and inmates in the United States. And the reason is we have this, over the last 20, 25 years, this exploding uh, through the war on drugs and other wonderful ideas, we've actually pressed into kind of a fresh way of exploiting people who are um, in the in the minority culture, primarily African American and Hispanic, who make up way way more majority uh, in the, within their ethnic groups uh, than the than the white population in terms of our prisons, and that's a sign to me that something's wrong, not only in the general public, but also in the conscience of the Christian people. Um, that, um, And I use prisoners because Jesus does. You know, Matthew 25 tells us not only to feed the, feed the hungry, clothe the, you know, the naked, give water to the thirsty, but he says, go visit the prisoners. Yeah. And I think he does that because most Christian people go, well, the hungry, those are nice people that are hungry. Thirsty, mm -hmm. those are nice people that need water. But a prisoner, that's a bad person. So I'm not going there. Well, Jesus says, no, we're all prisoners. Every one of us, but for the grace of God, sure. you know, should be incarcerated or locked up. So I think, I think we've got a real problem in the, in, in, in the prison system in the United States, which has become big business. I don't want to get into all of it. But the fact is, as the church, as the church, we have got to reevaluate how we, where we put our value in our money, in our, in our neighborhoods, in our, in our kids' you know schooling i mean where do we put our value and again if we put our value in christ if we see that jesus is the one who values us then we're it's going to change the way we look at the people around us hmm. and and to kind of put a fine point on it you know when you mentioned the prisoners i i was really impressed this past weekend is at our church we were praying for the victims of the shooting in colorado and oh. 
it really was laid heavy on my heart. You know, we we need to pray for James Holmes, and somebody yeah. needs to get into that prison. Yeah. You know, it's and bring Christ, and yeah. and uh, it's it's really uh, a neglected work for sure. And and I found that in my time working in uh, especially low uh, low low income neighborhoods and things that are nearby me, that um, the ministry groups that I work with always remind me that. If we don't do something, you know, the the numbers show a lot of these young men are are going to either end up in in prison or the military, often because of the structure that they often offer when they leave uh, their neighborhoods. And and there could be something so much more vibrant in their life that we need to get in there and share and be a part of, uh, because they may not know any other way otherwise. Yeah, one of the reasons we work with preschool children, especially with single mothers at risk children, um, is because. In the state of Tennessee, they actually determine how many prison beds they're going to build every year uh, based on the number of children that are in single-parent homes. Wow. And that, that, that says something to you that, um, that a child is two or three right now without the proper education, uh, food, uh, care, any kind of guidance, uh, strength of, of, of you know, parent uh, support structures. Um, that child's going to end up in jail. That child, that's, that child's going to be drug addicted, shot from guns, or you know, in jail, incarcerated. Mm. And primarily, it is a minority issue because it's you know most of our poorest of poor people are still coming out of the minority cultures, um, and that's something that, that the church needs to take seriously. Um, I mean, we'll travel halfway around the world to bring. You know, again, don't get me started on short-term missions, but short-term missions trips um, are big business as well. And we'll spend a lot of money as believers this year working on small, you know, on, on, on short-term missions where we send our people overseas to get a feel for the third world or some other culture. Mm-hmm. And again, the indigenous leaders there want us to relate to them. They want to be in relationship with us, not just be a you know project. Right. Uh, that we kind of come in and do this hit and then leave um, and, um, uh, you know, make ourselves feel good. It just happens all the time, this kind of top-down version of what incarnate um, ministry is supposed to be about. So loving your neighbor has a lot of aspects to it. It's um, it's complex. I don't want to try to make it simple, but it does really come down to love. And, mm. and how do you love? Um, you've been loved well by Christ, and if you love others in that same way, it just kind of it just kind of flows and I, I encourage anybody listening take time to pray about the people that Jesus brings within reach people that you know you can touch and get to know and have dinner with and go to ball games with and get to spend time with their family and your children with their children look for those people and Jesus will bring them and it'll be an exciting adventure to stretch out and, and get beyond your comfort zone. Amen. Very true to that. Well, I do want to talk about your, your music a little bit while I have you, but first, before we do that, just one more time, I, I want to send people to scottrolly.com, and you can find more about the things that Scott's talking about here. Check out his books, God's Neighborhood and Hard Bargain, A Beautiful Place to Live. Uh, you can also get some of his music, which we're going to be talking about in just a moment here, but I really encourage you to go, Scott, has some great things on his site that explain a little bit more in depth and you can find more reading about what he's talking about today which is something so valuable I believe uh, for any church regardless of where you are in this country or denomination so um, well let's let's shift gears just a little bit and uh, and talk quickly if we can about some of your music uh, we've we've already uh, talked about some your relationship with Michael card but I'm I'm curious just as we begin to talk about your music some uh, how did you meet Michael? 
Yeah. Um, first of all, thank you again for your helping to plug the uh, website. You're very gracious and very mm. generous. And uh, thank you, listeners, for actually being a part of the work I'm doing. Um, my card and I met in 1979 or 80, somewhere there, maybe 81. We're, we're trying to figure it out, but it's, uh, it's been 30 years ago. Uh, we were crammed into a vocal booth at a local recording studio here in Nashville, and we were singing background voices. We were background voices on a a Williamson County Bank commercial. The guy producing the uh, producing the commercial had produced a record on me and had produced a record on Mike. Hmm. And he felt like our voices would blend well, and, and they did, and we really enjoyed it. But more than that, um, I really saw in Mike, you know, the kind of guy I wanted to be. He, I'd been doing music for 10 years when we met, but he really had a handle on how do I how do I sing about Jesus in a biblical way, a creative way. He's got such beautiful melodies. His voice is terrific. I love folk music and I love guitar and acoustic guitar and piano. And Mike's just a virtuoso. He's a great player. Uh, he's mm. a very underrated musician. Uh, the guy can play anything and mm. uh, really is remarkably talented. So I got to throw in with him. And uh, we started to tour together. He let me open his show with my own stuff, and then, and then, uh, you know, I, I would play, I would sing up, and I'd play guitar and sing with him in his show. Uh, John Ketchings primarily was with us. He's a cellist, a marvelous cellist. Hmm. So during the '80s, we uh, traveled all over the all over the country and, and England, and you know, just had had a remarkable remarkable time together. That's fantastic, and and you have uh, since the time you started doing music, you've re- released, I believe, eleven albums. Right. Um, yeah. My my first my 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 initial stuff in the early seventies was I had a band called Albrecht Rowley and Moore. Those three last names. So I was Scott Rowley in in the band Albrecht Rowley and Moore. We were a Sparrow recording uh, group. Uh, we worked with the Talbot brothers. We worked as their backup band and would open their show, John and Terry, uh, John Michael and Terry Talbot. And then uh, toured with the second chapter of Axe with Keith Green in the late 70s hmm. prior to his untimely death. And um, so we had a very exciting kind of early contemporary Christian uh, music before they actually called it CCM. And, uh, yeah, we released a bunch of records over the course of those uh, those 10 years and then with Michael I released uh, an album called Within My Reach and Brother to Brother and then a, a new one that I was actually finishing called Disclosure and that record was uh, actually never released it was a star song and I actually went into the ministry hmm. with that record sort of still in the can but mm-hmm. uh, yeah there are 11 albums all together I've got a brand new compilation that we're just putting out called Patient Endurance and it's uh and there's, uh, there are 14 songs on it from all those different eras. Hmm. Well, that's great. And listeners, you need to check that out. It's some good music. I had the privilege about three weeks ago of uh, sitting in the audience here in Springfield, Ohio, and listening to uh, Michael and Scott both play their songs, and they're really good. And I wanted to, to point out your your new version of And Can It Be. Um, that was just stuck in my head for days after after I heard it that one yeah. time. Uh, is that going to be on any of your... Yeah, it's actually on this one. I just kind of sat in the living room. Where we, what's great about recording today is that you, the recording units would take about, you know, a 
$500,000 massive, you know, piece of equipment 20, 25 years ago. Now you can do it with something that looks like your phone. <laughs> and, um, you know, so we recorded it just, we did a, I just did a guitar vocal of Ann Canopy and stuck it on this new compilation. Uh, it's one of four. Uh, I did The Walk, uh, The Old Man, uh, and Canopy, and, and then a song called uh, Follow Me, mm. which is Christ calling us to follow. But uh, yeah, and that and that song and can it be was just to make the remarkable lyrics of Charles Wesley, um, just to make them accessible to people so they could they could hear these amazing words that he's written that were couched in a melody, really from the turn of the last century. They're mm-hmm. 100 and you know 50, 15, 20, 30 years old, uh, and that melody, which is truncated, it's one of those that you got to be a great singer with a great range to actually pull off. That that old version of it, mm-hmm. um, and I made some people mad by changing it, but I, I just made it accessible for everybody, and sure. and that was the idea. So thanks for encouraging me in that. I, I uh, you know I don't do that that often, but there are there are lyrics that I will take and say, if this is public domain, let's write a let's write a fantastic melody that can that can help people just understand. You know, my chains fell off, my heart was new, I rose, went forth, and followed you. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, we understand the power of of that great theology, that great lyric that Charles Wesley captured over and over in all of his songs. Um, you know, that's the reason behind that. And it is interesting, people do get a little uptight when we start changing hymn tunes, and then I'm not sure that, you know, even the purists realized that there wasn't even music to start with, that that those yeah. were actually written to get the <laughs> message out, and so as we change yeah. with the culture trying yeah. just to get these words out, yeah. uh, people get mad because, well, you've messed with the, you know, that's yeah. the way Jesus wrote it, and I'm like, what? Yeah. No, no. <laughs> yeah, I've I, I often thought about, you know, songs like Rock of Ages, which was, you know, these, I almost call them D, Disney some you know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> it's yeah. like a Disney march. Well, that was a bar tune in the 1820s. Right. I mean, back in that day, it was just a colloquial bar tune that everyone sang to. So they put, you know, uh, the, the beauty of that amazing message from Rock of Ages. Um, I know the Jim, uh, Jim Ward, James Ward, rewrote it in that, you know, Rock of Ages, clap for oh, yeah. me. Yeah. And it just, man, I just weep when I hear it because it, the melody's capturing, and it's, it's, it changes your heart, and it moves you. Now, again, you know, my contemporary years aren't as attuned into 1810, but they are <laughs> tuned into whenever he did that in 1990s, something like that. Sure. Um, yeah, and I think it's a good thing, and I encourage young writers and young players, don't be afraid to take some of those standards and put them into genre that makes sense to the people around you. Definitely. Well, and I, I agree with that. And it, it's just that our ears are not, you know, I, I sometimes call the old hymn tunes, you know, like a ride on a carousel. There's almost this. How often do you have those tunes sticking in your head? And yeah. as, as as my good friend uh, Fred Human said one time, who also lives there in Franklin, um, he, he was just uh reminding us of of the importance of of not losing uh not losing sight of that when we're coming to these words because um whether the pastor wants to admit it or not people leave singing the songs and humming the songs they're not leaving humming the sermon necessarily so right. if we right. can if we can get songs like and can it be which really are as deep as any sermon i've ever heard into right. the mind and consciousness of people then we've That's done right. our job 
So. Yeah, that's good. And that's my hope, hope that one of the reasons I love Michael Card's music is Michael does that as a songwriter. He is a Charles Wesley. Oh, that's sure. the point. You know, he's, he's a contemporary. In fact, I think the last 50 years, the last century, Michael will emerge when we're long dead to the Lord not return. I think people will look back and go, here's one of the greatest uh, Christian songwriters really of all time in Michael Card, kind of probably underappreciated while he's been here and is here. And, you know, my, my hope and prayer is that uh, he continues to get accolade for, for what he's done. He's mm. an amazingly prolific uh, musician, songwriter, and Bible teacher. He's just mm. one of the best Bible teachers ever. So I kind of I root for him. Well, I have to agree with you. He's one of my favorites. Yep. Well, well, Scott, I really appreciate you taking time to be on my podcast today. And one more time, I want to tell listeners, go to scottrolley.com and check out Scott's music, his writing, and all the things that he's doing in ministry right now. Is there anything else you would like to leave listeners with today, what they can find out more about you? Well, I, I don't know whether about me makes sense, but to, to trust Christ more, to, to look for Him as your sanctifying, loving Savior, and that every day He's the one that, that uh, we go to in the Gospel to, you know, the power of the Gospel to change lives and just to trust Him. But I thank you so much. You're, mm. you're obviously a young man who um, has a heart for the Lord. Um, and thank you for taking time, Rick, to just even make me feel so welcome. Well, it's my pleasure, and thank you for being one of the guests on Voices in My Head this week. All right. Yeah. Take care. Uh-huh. Well, that was just awesome. I, I love Scott so much, and I appreciate him uh, taking time to come on the show today. I thought it would be a fun way to close the show by letting you hear that And Can It Be arrangement that we were talking about. Now, this is not actually Scott singing this, but this is a, a group that recorded it, uh, and it's a, a pretty innovative uh, you know, just way of singing And Can It Be, and I know some purists out there might be like, no, no, that's not the original hymn tune. But again, like we said on the show, there was no original hymn tune. And I applaud anybody who wants to uh, to get the hymns back in the forefront. And uh, if that means changing the music so that we can actually uh, sing it together, um, this is a, a version. You can actually find this on YouTube, but I encourage you to go buy it if you can find a copy. And whenever Scott's new album comes out, uh, get his version of it uh, because he really does a cool job of, of singing and playing. It's a totally different feel when Scott does it. But um, I think it's such a cool thing when somebody else reinforces interprets a person's music and uh, it's it's a, a wonderful thing to do that so scott thank you again we're going to close the show today by playing an arrangement of and can it be the great charles wesley hymn arranged by scott Rowley, musical arrangement written by scott Rowley, and uh and i think you're going to enjoy what you hear today god bless you and thank you for listening to voices in my head
listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. You can also download my free mobile app from iTunes and on the Android Marketplace. And I'd love this to be a community experience, so if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, You can give me suggestions for future shows. You can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.